Welcome back, everyone, to the Ohio Valley Athletics Podcast. This is episode number three. I'm Brian Gossett, and with me, as always, is Sean Ryan. And this week, we have a very special guest that we're excited for. We have head football coach at West Liberty University, Coach Roger Wiley. Coach, is, he's been the head coach there since 2005. I've known uh, Coach Wiley when I was up there playing football. And what a lot of people don't realize about Coach Wiley, he's going into his 18th year at West Liberty. He's the second winningest coach of all time. But coach, you've actually been in the Ohio Valley for a long time because you were an assistant coach for several years before you took over the program. Uh, I know you're from Hawaii originally, but at this point, you got to really feel like you're a local because you've got some pretty strong roots in the Ohio Valley. Oh, yeah. When, when you're at a place this long, you got to tie roots. And, and the reason I stay is because of the people in the area. If it, you know, growing up in the Hawaiian culture is about being happy and, you know, wasn't too much about money. Um, and I, I like what I do. I like where I do it. And when I don't, then I'll leave. I'm pretty sure if it, it wasn't a good place here, I could move back to Hawaii at any time. I'm pretty sure I got some places to stay. So, but I've enjoyed my time here and, and, you know, I hope to retire here one day. I mean, I like the area and things have worked out well for not only myself, but my family. Coach last week, Sean and I, we were talking about a couple things. Uh, that I want to get your thoughts in. But one of them we were talking about was how difficult and the challenges it must have had uh, across the country in high school and college programs with uh, with the impact of COVID-19. And I don't know if there's anybody locally that probably knows that more than you, uh, because a lot of programs, they, they were able to get on the field, at least for an abbreviated season. Uh, at West Liberty, you guys didn't even get to touch the field in 2020. You guys had an abbreviated spring session. Uh, so I can't imagine what that impact was like and how tough that was. Anything you can share with us on just, just how difficult that was this past year? Well, it, it, it was tough on the coaches. Obviously, you know, when you've been doing it as long as I've done, you get used to a routine. And the routine was, you know, I got to see my wife in the fall. If that, if that was a positive, I got to see my family, which... You know, normally from August to, you know, the end of November, middle of November, I hardly see anybody. I'm up here every day. And so that was quite different, you know, and, and obviously there was positive and negatives. And the positive was I got to see my family. The negative was coming to work every day and seeing these kids struggle mentally. And, you know, what do we do? Well, you know, they really had no direction. And we tried to stay as positive as we possibly could. Hey, there's a, you know, there's an outlook. We get to play in the spring. We're only going to play four or five games, but at least we get to play something. And then we got okay to start practicing a little bit in the fall, which we did. And then we got shut down here and there. Um, and fortunately for us, I mean, we had very, very few cases. And I don't know if we were lucky or the kids were listening, meaning we were under five for positive tests here on campus. Now we did. And what we noticed is the kids that went home for the weekends or the ones that ended up coming back uh with the coronavirus and then they were quarantined and then their contacts were quarantined and i mean it was crazy probably the the craziest one is we had a young man that had a false positive that put about 10 guys into quarantine no well, kidding when, when it became he was a false positive well he was out and obviously we were program was shut down for a while and the kids that were in quarantine were calling me saying coach if you don't stop posting pictures of him playing golf or outside, we're going to kill him. <laughs> so, and they're his roommates, but he, you know, he wasn't a lot. 
he was allowed out, but the kids he put in had to stay in. So, I mean, there was a lot of crazy things that didn't make sense. And what makes sense at this point? You know, the, the one thing is, is, you know, I know talking to our players, they're excited, hopefully, to get back to normal. Um, but we'll see because the rules changed weekly last year, and I'm sure they're going to change weekly this year. And yeah, that's Roger. I'm sorry. No, go ahead, Sean. Roger, was that the most difficult part? Because obviously it was an unprecedented situation and there's no playbook for it. So as you said, it, it felt like everything was changing all the time and, and these kids want answers. And, you know, I, you, you talk about routine. I, th I think particularly when you're talking about kids and, and young men, they believe it or not, they seek that routine and you really couldn't give them anything concrete on a week to week basis. Yeah, I mean, that was that was the biggest thing is that, you know, people I like to say that when football's not in season, when football's in season, it's hard on the kids academically. I beg to differ. I think our kids do better when they have structure, when they have the same routine going on and on. And, you know, we, we struggled a little bit in the classroom from what we're used to. You know, I think overall in athletics, we did do a good job in fighting for the kids and making sure they're going to class and doing or going to their, I call them phone classes. Sometimes the kids were walking around. I said, what are you doing? They said, I'm in class. I said, and, you know, that was crazy to me. You're not sitting down in the classroom or you're not sitting down at a desk. Or So anyways, the routine, not being a routine, I think hurt us overall academically and you know, also weight room wise, not being able to lift at the same time and, and things that were going on. And, you know, it was just day by day, we had to take it. You know, we really couldn't forecast anything too far out. Um, you know, even sometimes practices, hey, you know, I'll shoot out an email for practicing tomorrow, it depends on this, this and this. So, yeah, it really, that was the probably the hardest thing not to be in is that routine that, you know, obviously I've been into that routine for over 20 years, probably closer to 30, if, I, if I'm being honest. And that, you know, I know it had an effect on me, like, I'll be sitting there, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. You know, and you catch yourself watching the same game over and over again. I wasn't, I'm not a big TV guy, or uh, I did learn how to do Netflix and that Prime channel, so. <laughs> <laughs> and then I could binge watch film, I binge watch some of them programs so I could talk to the kids about them. <laughs> Coach, we were talking <laughs> offline. And you said some interesting things. I, I had asked you offline, you know, what did, what did last year do for recruiting? Um, you know, because you, you, you weren't playing any games in 2020 in the fall. Uh, so a recruit couldn't come up and actually see the toppers play. And, and one way I could say that that made it extremely hard. The other part says it could have made it easier because rather than, you know, preparing for a game, you could have had feet on the ground out in the community, uh, out nationally looking for prospects. And uh, you said some interesting things. What did that, what did that look like last year for recruiting? Well, obviously all the, all the recruiting was done by phone, by computer, by zoom meeting. Um, campuses were closed. We weren't allowed to go to high school campuses. We weren't allowed to have visits, weren't allowed to have official visits. So, you know, most of the kids we signed, signed prior to even stepping foot on campus. Now, some of the kids, obviously, we visited them while they were juniors and so forth, and they've been up to campus before. But the majority of the class, when they get here Saturday, is going to be their first time or second time on campus because most of them did come for orientation. 
just to get a look at where they're coming to school. Um, but, you know, it was it was difficult. Then you have to plan, you know, the NCAA and the Division II level decided they were going to give all seniors another year of eligibility, but those seniors wouldn't count towards your scholarship equivalencies. And so whatever you had in the seniors, that's what you had to recruit with. Well, you know, I was thinking that was great, and I was gung-ho, hey, we got this much to go recruit with. Then I thought about it. If I give out all that money, then the following year, if every kid comes back, we don't have a dime to recruit with. And that's where we had to, you know, decide, okay, this is where we have depth. This is where we're going to lose kids the following year and try to plan it out that way where it became more difficult in the planning. And then you got, you're sitting on equivalency and a, a big time kid calls you or transfer or a high school kid that got left because they didn't play football. What do you do? Do you sign them or do you say, Hey, good luck to you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we had to play that week constantly. And this has been the longest recruiting because usually, you know, by the end of school, we're on all junior recruiting. <clears throat> Well, this year, that wasn't the case. We were still looking at kids for 2021 because it was a lot of kids that got left behind because of the Division One rule. The Division One rule was you got 85, we're keeping you 85. If a senior wants to use his extra year of eligibility, he comes back, then you got less, a less kid to, uh, to go get. And so it was, it was really different where, you know, and then next year, Division One will be back to normal where – most of the division twos were back to 36 with a full roster that is eligible to come back. Yeah. That's an interesting perspective that I, and I'm willing to bet a lot of other people haven't thought of. Um, you are at serious risk of not having any scholarship money for incoming, uh, incoming players. Yeah. And, uh, but on the division two level, you'll always get kids that decide that they don't want to play, that they just want to go to school and that's fine. They, you know, it's a big commitment, you know, and a lot of the kids aren't, you know, nobody's getting a full scholarship and they got to piece it together. And then obviously with the pandemic, you know, there's some been some parents that have lost jobs. Do they have to start working? And so there, there's a lot of variables that go into the equation. You know, we did hold back some. I thought it was important that we have a cycle of kids because I got in trouble at one time, not in trouble, but I made a mistake early in my career is that we had limited scholarship money. And then all of a sudden in one year, we got a whole bunch. Well, I went out and recruited all kinds of kids, signed everybody. And then we didn't have anything available or a little bit for the next couple of years until that class graduated. Then it was big again. And in this level, you want to try to make sure you cycle and you have an even amount every year if you want to build a good program. Coach, good. No, go ahead, Ryan. Roger, I'm curious, uh, not just from a football uh, staff standpoint, but from an institutional standpoint, are you guys uh, a little worried right now, given that this whole COVID thing uh, seems to kind of be cycling back around at this time? Yeah, I don't think we ever stopped being worried. I mean, I feel the same way I did last year going in that, you know, because there's nothing set in stone and it's, so, it's such a new thing. I mean, obviously we have some experience from last year, but, you know, obviously they were talking about a different variant and those types of things. And, you know, again, all I can do, you know, you get yourself trying to come up with 10, 15, 20 different plans. If this happens, this is what we're going to do. If this happens, this is what we're going to do kind of like a game plan. Then finally I looked at myself in the mirror. I said, listen, 
you need to take this day by day and not look ahead because you're going to go nuts and you're going to lose your mind. And so, you know, only thing you can control, we try to do is control what we can control. And we've decided as a staff to look at it day by day. Obviously, we have other things that we're looking future-wise and recruiting and so forth and different things. But as far as how this season goes, we're going with what rules they gave me for this week. And if they change, then we're going to change to what it is for next week. But, yes, it is very scary because, you know, I think the NCAA and everybody – thought that a lot of people would be vaccinated. And this was about a month ago. I looked at an NCAA study and out of all the athletes, only 30% of them had been vaccinated. I'm not surprised. So by that. that You know, the rules are quite different for vaccinated players versus non-vaccinated. The vaccinated players can really, they don't have to wear everywhere masks. They don't have to be tested unless they have symptoms. You know, it goes on. Well, if you're non-vaccinated, they haven't said how many times a week you're going to test, but I imagine three. And then who's going to pay? There's an institution in our conference that said, if you're not vaccinated, you're paying for your own test. So, you know, I, we haven't made any decisions here because the NCAA has not made a decision on how they're going to handle it. And supposedly August 4th, they're supposed to come out with something. Well, I hope they do, because on August 7th, our kids report, and on August 9th, we start practicing. You'd like to know what, your, uh, what the rules are before you get into this. Coach, let's change gears for a second. Last week, Sean and I, one of the things we, we kind of scratched the surface on was was nil and for everyone out there that's name image likeness of ncaa players being able to be compensated for that mm -hmm. and um in in the last week we had uh at least locally uh news of interest where a recruit for ohio state most people tag this this young guy as the number one quarterback prospect in the country he's foregoing his senior year in high school uh and and literally not playing, uh, enrolling early, which isn't terribly uncommon. And uh, the, the, the statistics out there are saying that as an incoming freshman, he's going to earn upward of $200,000 this year before he even steps on the field. <clears throat> so coach, I'm curious to get your thoughts on just in general, what do you think about nil in the whole landscape of college football? And can you see that having an impact on the D2 program in the future? Well, I think it already has had an impact on the Vision Two level. I mean, you know, you look at some of the kids at West Liberty that are already starting their own camps and making their own money now. I don't think in the commercial sense of a car dealership or something like that coming in and, and, and playing the players to do a commercial, I don't think that'll happen. I think because we'll be overshadowed in the schools like WVU that are in the smaller states and in the smaller media market, more importantly, they're going to be struggling to find enough people for NI, but the rich are going to get richer. You're going to you know, look at the quarterback at Alabama. They ain't stepped on the field, and he's already up to over $800,000. And so, you know, the rich are only going to get richer. I think that people in the high media market have more of an opportunity uh, to make the bigger money, I guess you say. I think every school is going to have it, but you can't include it in your recruiting. And then, you know, there's rule. They don't, I mean, they're coming out with different rules, new rules every day. You know, they came out with one that if you uh, decide to do it and you're going to Ohio State, they cannot wear anything that represents Ohio State with what they're doing. So, you know, it, it's going to be hard to 
I guess, monitor. You know, the NCAA has been all about rules, regulations. I think on this one, it's going to be hard to monitor. And then the one big thing that nobody talks about that I laugh about, obviously, if those kids are making money, they're going to have to pay taxes on some of that. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody's ever mentioned, <laughs> well, are they going to report those taxes? Or are they going to claim free income? I mean, what's yeah. going to happen there? Yeah. And I'd imagine that the Division One schools, they're going to have uh, – financial advisors and those types of things but you know on a division two level when they're running a camp you know i, I don't see them paying very much in taxes because who knows they're running the camp yeah agree curious to get your thoughts on this i was having a discussion in the past week with someone and uh i think it was ohio state maybe even wvu we were talking about a a backup quarterback that was had a high probability of transferring and, and my, my thought was not so fast. Now that you have nil, uh, if we're talking just from a, a monetary standpoint, you might, you might make more money being the backup, the second or third string quarterback at Ohio State or WVU than you would being the starter at maybe Akron. Um, so have you considered what that could do in terms of, you know, West Liberty, you've done a good job at, at getting some drop down uh, talent from the D1 program. Have you thought about the impact that nil could have of, of players not willing to transfer uh, because of this? Well, I think that's definitely going to be something that they're going to have to consider. But, you know, for a lot of them that drop down, they're looking just to get on the field so they can showcase their talent so they can play another day after college. And it's going to depend on, okay, do I take the money now or is the, is the money better for me at the end of the rainbow? And, you know, obviously when they drop down, they got to be dominant on this level. They can't make, you know, a whole lot of mistakes. They got to be great leaders, getting, don't get in trouble. But they, you know, it doesn't really matter where you play anymore. They're going to come see you. And even, even here at West Liberty, they stop by every year to take a look. Even when I tell them we, ain't, we don't have anybody or in a couple years, look at this kid. But, you know, I really think it's going to be, you know, the, the player's decision. Well, do I take the money now and stay and not get a chance to play afterwards? So a lot of it is going to be their ego or, hey, I'm an NFL quarterback. I need to get somewhere to get on the field so I can show myself. So they're not even NFL, CFL there, you know, some of the arena league is still playing good. Then they got the spring football leagues. And so, you know, the guys that are, are not getting – the action on the field are the ones that actually get hurt by a lot of this. Yeah, that's a good point. So switch gears again here for a second. Um, you know, coach, you've spent almost half your life up on the hilltop there. And uh, myself, I spent four and a half years up there. I'll always be a topper. Great experience. Uh, a lot of memories. Sean, we'll adopt you in because I know that you're pretty close to the program too. Um, I have always felt like West Liberty is one of the most hidden, best hidden gems in the Ohio Valley. And, you know, we're talking, it's been 20 years almost since I've been on, uh, since I was a student there, I come back home about once a year and I, I love to drive up on the campus, the improvements, uh, the enhancements that have happened up on the campus are incredible. Now I'm going to speak for myself here. It, it bothers me and it frustrates me. Every year when I look at the West Liberty roster and coach, this is to your credit, you've got a great national reach. Um, you're always able to pull some great athletes from Florida, Arizona, California, 
And it frustrates the heck out of me not to see more Ohio Valley players on that roster. Now, I know it's not because you don't want them. It's because the kids aren't getting on campus and they're not committing. And that's so frustrating for me to not see more local kids staying home and realizing how great that campus is and how, and how strong of competition uh, the conference has. Curious to get your thoughts on that comment. Well, you know, number one, I mean, we, we start from the inside out recruiting. I think currently we got 20, at least 21 to 20, I think 21 kids might be 22 from the OBAC right now. Um, we start from the inside out and we got to get your best players. But, you know, I put myself in some of the players shoes too. A lot of them want to get away and, and no, no offense to any parents out there. A lot of them want to get out of the nest, you know, be honest with you. I mean, I had kids that have left and come back and said, I never should have went there. I said, no, you got a great experience. And they left there. I said, coach, if West Liberty was two hours away, it's my number one school. So that's one thing the kids are thinking about more. And then also with the social, well, what we're doing, the Facebook, I mean, the FaceTime and all that stuff going farther away from home does is not a bigger deal than it was before. So a lot of them, now the kids that do come straight from here, I mean, they brag, I get to go home and get a home cooked meal. I take my laundry home every Sunday. I do that. I mean, so they do take advantages and they did look at it that way. So you know, I see both sides of it, but we'll always recruit from the inside out. If we can get the best players from the Ohio Valley, we will. And that's how we get the kids that have come back because we recruited them in the first place. You know, I can see, you know, we get a lot of transfer kids that come back. You know, we we'll start Zach Amidro. We recruited him when I was an assistant. Then I got the head job and he decided to come. So there's, I mean, I can go on and on with the number of kids we recruited. There's a few, there's like three or four on these roster right now. But I, I think the big thing is, is that, you know, sometimes they just want to get away, get away from home, get on their own, see other parts of the country or other parts of the region. And if it wasn't for them, they'll come back. Coach, I want to put you on the spot real quick. You said Zach and Medro, and that, that was um, what a great time it was to be a hilltopper um, in, in, that, in that time. In 2009, you, you put together the most explosive offense uh, in NCAA two and um, one of the most explosive offenses in all of NCAA. Best program West Liberty's had in terms of a season performance. Many records broken that year. Uh, Zach Amidro, record-setting quarterback for West Liberty. I also think you should take credit for that of uh, putting an offense together that complemented the talent we had. I'm going to ask you a hard question here. Not, not only did everybody know about Zach Amidro, but your stock was very, very high. You said earlier that you, you put roots down here in Ohio Valley because you love it here. But I gotta, I'm, I'm curious. You know, Back in 2009, some people had to be calling you and knocking on the door, emailing you, seeing what your interest was to leave the program. What was that like? Well, it was flattering, but you know, the, 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 I was considering one of them, and I'm not going to mention which one. And then when I told my wife, I think I'm going to take it, she said, send a check, and me and the kids will come visit. That was, <laughs> that was, that was a stopper for me. Because, you know, I love my wife, I love my kids, and, you know, I like being around them. And so as soon as that was said, then it was like, you know, she wanted one where she never had to work again. And at that time, the money wasn't where she didn't have to work again. 
And so, you know, a lot of things played, you know, her, her mom and dad, and she didn't want to leave them here by themselves. So there was a lot of things. And again, I'll go back to the way I was raised. Family's always first. And when I married her, I married her family. And when, you know, her dad wasn't doing well, um, you know, we were responsible. We were around. And so, you know, a lot of things played in the decision. It was flattering. There was a couple that piqued my interest. But at the end of the day, when I turned around, I made the best decision I could possibly make. Roger, you talk about family. One of the things that I've always appreciated about West Liberty is it feels like a family. Uh, the administration, you know, all the coaches are, are together. It, it seems like if you go to an event, if you see one coach, you, you see three or four of them. The, what is it like to be and how much does it go into a decision, like you said, about getting other offers? Uh, what does that mean in terms of, of wanting to stay at West Liberty? Well, that's, you know, another thing, you, you know, you, and obviously coaches talk throughout the country. And, you know, I get coaches call me all the time. I can't believe what they're giving that program. And, you know, we're all treated equal here for the most part. You know, if somebody's in need of something, then, you know, we're going to do it. It's like we're going through a weight room project. You know, obviously I had the resources to get the majority of done and the other basketball women and every sport started pitching in. And you don't normally see that on smaller continents. You know, this is mine and I'm going to keep it for me and I'm not sharing it with anybody else. I think here everybody realizes the big picture. The better off everybody is, the better off they're going to be too. And so if you just, you know, put your eggs all in one hat, so to say, you're not going to have a successful program or university. So we've been very diverse and very, you know, sharing and caring. And we get coaches. We always talk. If we got a problem, we'll talk. If our athletes have problems within themselves, we talk about it. And so in which is if they kids see us getting along and not complaining about other teams and they're going to get along with the other teams and, and in like any family, there's going to be disagreements and so forth. But you know, that, and that's probably one of the bigger reasons I stayed because it does feel like family up here. If somebody's in need and of, of something and, you know, within rules and not going broke, everybody's there helping out. Coach, let's, let's take a look at this year. So one of, one of the things that I think you've done a really good job with is adjusting to, to the talent that you have on the team. Um, a lot of people might not know that you were a, quarterback in college as a, uh, as a, as a player yourself. Um, I know that you, you like to throw the ball, um, but that's not always the case at West Liberty. You also have had some really good running backs that have put out some incredible years. So with that said, knowing that you will, you will tailor the offense to the talent you have for all of our listeners out there, what can we expect from, from West Liberty as a whole and specifically on offense, what are we looking at out of the program this year? Well, you know, from year to year, you're absolutely right. We have to go by what our talent dictates. But, you know, for me, my philosophy has been you got to be 50-50. You have to run the ball as effectively as you throw it. Now, to set that up, there's been years where we've ran the ball to set up the pass. And then there's been years we've thrown the ball just to, so we can run it. And same thing formation-wise. When Zagar Medro was here, we went to four wide. It wasn't to throw the football. It was to space people out to run it. And, you know, we're going to do whatever we have to do to be effective. I, and I think at this level or any level, when you become one dimensional, 
teams can come in and shut you down. They don't have to worry about you running the ball. You're just going to throw it or vice versa. You're only going to throw it on third down. Well, then they can game plan, and I think it makes it easier for the other team's defensive coordinator. So, yeah, you you hit it on the head offensively. You know, even though we've somewhat had the same system in place, um, we've gone different ways about setting things up, whether it be throw it, run it. You know, this year, I really, until I get these kids, because we got some new faces joining us, um, you know, we got quarterbacks that can throw it all over the place. We got running backs, we, you know, we got tight ends. So, you know, I'll be curious. We've kind of ventured in the last couple of years to a two tight end, three tight end sets. And, you know, I kind of, I was kind of partial to that just because it made the quarterbacks play football. You know, a lot of them secondary players, they'll cover you and they don't like to mix it up. Well, you bring all them tight ends in, they got to play the edge now. And so on this level, there it's hard to find them corners that like to play the edge. So, you know, we got to find out what we do best first and put that on the field and then build off of that. You know, whether we're a power run team or a zone team will depend on the offensive line and the tight ends and fullbacks. But, you know, we have everything, and I always make it a competition on the team. I said our best grouping code, whether it's four wideouts, three wideouts, one tight end, two tight ends, two wideouts, Whichever one gives us the best opportunities, the most consistent, that's going to be our base grouping code that year. And we'll build everything off of that. Coach, you said earlier that we've got around 20 local Ohio Valley players on the team, which is awesome to hear. So thank you for recognizing and, and recruiting our local talent. Are there, I know this is delicate because everyone's still working hard fight, fighting for a position, but are there any local names that are that are really impressing you um, coming into the new year? Well, all I can talk about is the returning starters. And, and you know, Tyler Eli's been a three-year starter for us. Uh, obviously, if he stays and plays his next two years, he'll be a five-year starter. I'm counting last year as the four <laughs> games as a starter. So that's kind of unique within itself. Um you know, you got both Petaways, Cheyenne and Jamil, Jamal Petaway. Jamal Petaway really came on uh, last spring. Um, and then Cheyenne got injured. So, you know, those are two, you know, defensively, we're looking. Dewan Jones uh, started getting better and better um, as time progressed. But, you know, you look at, you know, quarterback situation, we've got two quarterbacks from Ohio Valley schools. And one of them was probably our most improved player being Jordan Wood from John Marshall. You know, he didn't get to see his athletic ability. It kind of shocked us because you only go by what you see on film and, and workouts. And, you know, he's got some athletic ability to him. And obviously Bo Heller had a great all-star game and, you know, he's looking to compete. And then, you know, you got the, two secondary guys coming in from park, uh, uh, Sinclair and Shahid Jackson. And so, you know, you just look around, Nate Phillips has been a mainstay as our wide receiver. We're hoping that Anthony Robbins can get healthy last spring. Uh, Jerome Harris from St. Clairsville filled in nicely for Nate Phillips when he got hurt and probably, you know, a lot, we're talking about how we're going to be offensively and what we're going to do. Some of this is going to depend on Savion Johnson because he brings so much to the table for us offensively because he's so unselfish. He's one of the easy, he is the best blocking back 
I've ever had. He's freakishly athletic with the football in his hands. He catches the ball well. Um, and so we got to see glimpses, and he's been injury riddled. We're hoping we can keep him healthy for a full year to see what he can do. You know, his first year here is probably, I think he had 700 yards rushing and only played in maybe six games. So, you know, a lot of it is going to depend on the health and how everybody comes back. But, the, you know, obviously I didn't mention everybody's name. I just mentioned the, the, the kids that have done things in the past for us. Which well, Roger, the, uh, the question I have for you, and, and I know it's tough to answer right now because you really haven't been going at it, but how do you think you're going to be depth-wise up front on both sides of the football? Because these last three, four years, you guys have – just had an unbelievable amount of injuries there that have really hampered you guys. Yeah, you know, it kind of of goes in cycles by the positions, but, you know, I thought, I think we rectified the offensive line situation where, you know, there was years where we never started the same five guys. And we're very fortunate to, over the last probably, Last half of this, the 19 season, and then last year, I guess, would be the first 21 season. This will be the second one. Um, I thought that was one of the strongest points of our team was the offensive line. Now, contrastly, defensive line, we're very, very talented. We don't have much depth. And so, but with that being said, you might see us some in some three more three, four package uh, than anything else where, you know, we're, we're very – gifted at the end meaning we probably got eight nine defensive ends that I'm not afraid to play but inside's the unknown we're returning only two guys with uh extensive experience in there and so you know we're hoping on some freshmen coming in that they come in and hopefully the, the learning curve won't be too hard and they'll be able to pick things up but you know through recruiting, that's the only way to rectify it is to get better. And I, I think offensive line-wise, knocking on wood, I think we've rectified it. Defensive line, we got some top-line players as good as anybody in the conference, you know. But we have to stay healthy, and we got to hopefully we stay healthy enough for the younger guys to come around. Coach, about this conference. I'm sorry, Brian. I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, Coach. If if you think I'm crazy, just say it. There's a lot of listeners in the Ohio Valley that have not made their way up to the hilltop to see what good quality division two football looks like. And when, when I, when I played there, quite frankly, I was also surprised at how good the talent is. And what I would tell people is our, and this is, this is what I used to say is our starting 11 could play with lower level division one programs for a quarter or two. The difference is when they bring in their backups, there's a big drop off with us. And I'm, I'm part of the backups, right? So the, there's a big difference between the, the, the wide receiver one at West Liberty and wide receiver three as compared to WVU. The delta between wide receiver one and four is very, very little. Um, and I say that and that I think people would be really surprised if they got up there for a game and they saw just how gifted the starting 11 on both sides of the ball are. What are your thoughts when I say that? Yeah, well, I think a lot of people would be would be surprised. And the more, the more I get it, you know, obviously been in recruiting this area for a long time. Is you know, a lot of times when I go into high schools, a lot of the coaches 
you know, that haven't been up and graduated from here, they'd come to a game and they said, oh, my God, I had no clue. And they said, I ain't got anybody for you this year. <laughs> and so it's hard and I'm not going to name the schools, but, you know, at least they're now honest. You know, most of the high school coaches were contrastly. One of the first recruiting trips I took to a school in the Valley, I had a coach tell me, well, these three kids didn't play, didn't start for us here, but they could start for you there. And, you know, that's the, the mindset at one time. I don't think it's like that anymore because of with our TV station and our games being streamed live and all those things. I think more and more people have gotten to see the difference, meaning a lot of times I used to get phone calls. Hey, I got this kid. He's about 5'9", 200 pounds. He's an offensive lineman. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know if my tenure we've ever had somebody that small play offensive line here. Yeah. Now we have defensive line. Conversely, if somebody know, you know, uh, Anthony Cap from Brook was probably the smallest nose guard we ever played, but he made plays and he was tough as nails. So you know, it just goes in cycle. But I think you know, like this year, this is probably the biggest offensive line we've had. We're probably going to average about six three, probably about three fifteen. Which you know, that's. You know, you're getting close. And there's other schools in our conference that average 6'5", 330 on the offensive line. So I think the size is probably – the size and the speed is probably the, the difference that a lot of people don't realize until you see it live. Yeah, I really hope some more people make their way up on that campus. Um, one, to see just the, what a secret, great hidden secret the West Liberty campus is but two, to see some really good competitive football and some great athletes up there, some local and uh, some, some from out of town, they're putting together um, a really good program up there. Coach, so let me, let me ask you this. A lot of times when you're watching like a 30 for 30 or a football life, whether it's a coach or a player uh, and they're retired and they look back on their career, they always have a moment or a game that sticks out that they just can't let go of. You've been, you've been the head coach since 2005. You've been coaching football for upward of 30 years. You've been, you've been in the Ohio Valley uh, for over 20. If you, if you, if you were to retire today, what, what's a moment, what's a game that you look back on? You just can't let it go. Probably the playoff game versus Edinburgh. That would be first. And then the, that same year when we were playing Charleston, basically for the conference championship and it went into double overtime and, we they were running the option and we changed our option. I went to Monty. I was an option quarterback. I went to Monty and we're Coach Forshee and we said, "Hey, we've been slow playing the speed option." I said, "Send Kaiser in right now." Kaiser off the edge and he blew up the quarterback. They fumbled. We recovered. Game over. And so you know that that single play probably sticks out more, but the whole game versus Edinburgh of those kids refusing to lose. I mean, we were struggling defensively, offensively. We had it rolling, and them offensive kids just say, just get us the ball back, and we were scoring and one, two, five. I mean, it was unbelievable, you know, the confidence. And I think it started with the kickoff with Kashif Walls returning it for a touchdown. And then, you know, Medro, Kayvon Calhoun, you know, putting up 1,000 yards of total offense in one game, scoring 83 points. And, I remember the next day, so I was, <laughs> I went down to the golf course and 
all them guys said, hey, the basketball team won 83 to 60 something. I said, but well, that was us. <laughs> <laughs> that was an unbelievable game. I, you know, that's the one for me too that I, I just can't. I mean, it, it was both teams too. Uh, Amidro and the quarterback from Edinburgh. What was his name? Trevor. Trevor Harris. Trevor Harris. I mean, that it was just punch counter punch all day long. It was it was unbelievable. Yeah, I think they threw the ball. Like, they only ran two running plays. Quarterback was their lead, and then the quarterback was the leading rusher. We stuffed both running plays they tried to run, and they just lined up in empty and tried to score with us. And we were able to, you know, and I think the one big thing key to that game is we ran for over three, 250, 260 yards and threw for, I don't know, five 580-something, I don't know what it was, but it was astronomical, the numbers that were put up in that game. Yeah, Zach threw for five-something, five and Harris threw for six-something. It was, it was incredible. Yeah. It was a that, lot of fun. Now, the other it? side, going in the locker room and seeing my defensive coaches, you would have thought we lost. <laughs> <laughs> I still contend, though, it, it's hard whenever your offense is scoring that quickly. I mean – <laughs> you know, whether you get stopped three three and out or you go 80 yards in two plays, the defense is still going back out there in 30 seconds. Yeah, and, that, and that's the key. I mean, it, you know, people are trying to play up tempo, but they don't realize the pressure it puts on your defense. You know, defenses are used to, you know, 11 play, 14 play, drive, score. Well, when you're scoring that fast and they got to go back out, you know, and in that playoff game, we were only allowed to dress three players there were some kids that started games for us that didn't get to dress and started every special team so you know it was difficult but you know I you know what I tried to tell my defensive staff they made four critical plays for us that won us the game and you know the two picks the fumble recovery and then they had a big sack on, on a third and long so that you know it takes all sides to win football games. Not only one side is going to win it. And, you know, it's the same thing when we want beat Charleston. It was a high scoring game, but our defense made the play to win the game because right, you know, offensively, we missed the extra point. We got it blocked. And so they score a touchdown, kick the extra point, they win. And so they made something happen defensively and Kaiser came off the edge and Ohio, you know, Ohio Valley product from Bel Air. And Jason Kaiser, and he made the play, and he actually hit the quarterback. The ball fell loose. It was a scrum, and he came up with the fumble. This is incredible. This was this is twelve years ago. We're talking about, and you just rambled off about twenty-five straight plays and the kids who made them in detail. Yeah. I don't I don't remember what I ate last Wednesday, and he's going <laughs> play by play by play. <laughs> Well, I can remember football. I can't remember if I washed my hair in the morning in the shower. I was, <laughs> I was looking at the bottle. I said, did I wash my hair? I said, hell, it won't hurt washing it twice. <laughs> well, Coach, while we're going down memory lane, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. There's, but you've had a lot of uh, really good um, players that bounced down from D1. One of them I had to make a trip back home for. That's when you were able to land Brandon Orr from Virginia Tech. And uh, he had a, uh, at least, at least what I thought you can keep me honest is uh, he, he didn't seem to be healthy that entire year, but he still seemed to have a notch above everyone else. And I remember there was a play, a specific play that sticks out for me. It was a sweep. It was a pitch. And 
at first it looked like he was slow and he had such an amazing stride where the defenders came at him and the pursuit angles were just wrong because he was so much faster than he looked. I'm curious, uh, when you think about athletes that you've had step on that campus, where does Brandon Orr rank and, and what was that like having that type of caliber athlete come on campus? Well, it was phenomenal. First of all, he was a, he was a great teammate. I put it that way. You know, he could have came in here and tried to big time everybody and you would never pick him out of the crowd, meaning he blended in. He didn't want the attention. The only thing I wish we never, I got to see him healthy for two weeks after the second week going into the first game, he developed turf toe, but he wanted to play and he played all year with that turf toe. And still he had some of the greatest two, three yard runs that I've ever seen. One time, you know, he had a big run against somebody and he jumped cut. We stopped on film and measured it. He jump cut somebody and it was 14 feet on this jump cut. It was amazing how, you know, how athletic, how graceful he was and where he didn't get a lot of credit. He had great, great hands. He probably had the best hands on the team that year. Ryan Travis was on that team and we had, you know, among a lot of great players on that team, but he was, you know, he was the MVP of the Orange Bowl for a reason. He was a special, special player. I just wish we would have got him healthy for at least one game. And he still had 200-yard games here. He's, I think he scored seven touchdowns, six touchdowns in one game versus Glenville. And they had a D1 transfer middle linebacker. I remember him on a draw play, jump cutting three times on consecutive move and really jump cut to the right. He stepped up, jump cut around him, and then took off. It was unbelievable. And so, you know, it was, it was special and we still keep in contact. He calls back and he considers his alma mater West Liberty, which is a great thing. That is, that is coach. It was a pleasure having you on for all of our listeners out there. You're going to have a mix of, of, uh, OVAC student athletes, uh, their parents, uh, maybe some future Hilltoppers out there. What do you want people to know about the program? and what it's like on West Liberty's campus. Well, again, you know, I think Sean hit it on the best. We talk about West Liberty is a family. And uh, in every, not only football, but in the academic, in the student life side, it is a family. We are, we do work together. We do root for each other. Uh, but number one here is not, I'm not a big yeller or screamer, but I will, we do stress academics. Our kids do graduate. And we put a lot of emphasis into the academic side. And we have a lot of great programs up here that by praying, a lot of people don't realize, you know, they don't realize that, you know, and I don't know, I know three or four years ago, this was a case, our pre-med program at a hundred percent or hundred percent pass rate on the test that they take. And so, you know, it's just, it's a good place. And that's the one thing. It is a good place. And and like everywhere you go, you can find negatives in anything. But I think here the positives outweigh the negatives. You know, I, I tell every recruit here, the biggest negative about West Liberty is my biggest positive. 
not too much to do other than play, <laughs> lift football, <laughs> lift weights, play football, and, and study. <laughs> well, <laughs> coach, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep you honest there. As a, as, as a student, there we, we found things to do. There's plenty to do on that. Camp. Oh yeah, well, and that's life. I mean, you know, we, you'll feel sorry for me here, but we grew up on the beach in Hawaii. I remember telling my grandma, "Well, I'm bored. There's nothing to do." She tell, "Life is what you make of it." You want to have fun, find something to have fun doing. And, you know, basically that's what we did. We didn't have much, but we had a lot of fun. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And that's probably the one thing that sticks in my mind here that I tell the, no matter where you go, it's not always going to be roses, a better roses. You got to find a way to make it good for you. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. One of my, uh, my, my best friend today, best man in my wedding, is a guy I played football with on campus there that I met at West Liberty. Um, and and if I had to go down a list of, you know, a half a dozen people that I, I still consider close friends, um, half of them are from West Liberty, people that I either played football with or met on that campus. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, again, trust me, we find things to do up there. It's a fun <laughs> campus. <laughs> Sean, do you have anything for Coach? I just want to say good luck. I mean, I, it's for me, it was always a pleasure and always has been coming up there because of the family atmosphere and, and the way that you guys treat people uh, is just second to none. And I've been on other campuses. I've dealt with other administrations and it's, you guys are just different. And uh, I, I really appreciate that. And I wish you guys all the luck this year. Well, I thank you. I appreciate you guys having me on today. Coach, can we get you back midseason? Talk about how the season's going for the toppers. Yeah, anytime. Excellent. We appreciate you joining. Thanks a lot, Coach. For everyone out there, thank you for listening. This is Ohio Valley Athletics, the number one source for local sports talk. We'll talk to you next week.